Let's begin this way. Number one, let's calibrate. What is the theme of this book? Real Christianity. Real Christianity, the biblical convictions and lifestyle of a real Christian. James is the pastor, the head of the church at Jerusalem. He's writing to disperse Christians as a result of persecution, saying, you can't just say you have faith. You need to display you have faith. Real faith shows up in reality. It is, here's the key thought, it is proven. Real faith, saving faith, is proven and perfected by your good works. You are not justified by good works. You are justified by faith alone. But the claim of faith that's genuine is never alone. And James is writing this book to articulate the lifestyle and convictions of a biblical Christian, a possessor of genuine and real faith. Real Christians deal with difficulty differently and successfully. Chapter 1. Real Christians are changed by the word of truth and are changing ongoing by those same words. Real Christians, chapter 1, have a religion seen in reality. They walk their worship. They don't just say it. They control their tongue. They visit the vulnerable. They help the helpless. And they stay unstained, unspotted from the world. The garments of Christianity are charity and purity. And if that's not your garb, it's not real Christianity. That's why Safe Homes is such a a natural application of something that ought to be an expression of genuine Christians. It gives us an expression and a means to fulfill the claim we have as a follower of Christ. Real Christianity... Chapter 2 treats all people equally and kindly. It doesn't use people and it doesn't abuse people. It doesn't abuse them because we think they can't contribute anything to us. Or it doesn't manipulate them because we think they can do something for us. Real Christians treat people equally, fairly, kindly, irrespective of their social standing or status. Genuine faith is proven by how it treats all people equitably and Christ-like. Real Christians live the law of love and liberty, chapter 2 says. Genuine faith is proven by how it loves others and how it lives God's law, the royal law of love. And then it says plainly, real Christians display a mercy that triumphs over judgment because we're the recipients of bombastic kindness from God, undeserved grace, undeserved mercy, and when we display it, we demonstrate we possess it. Real Christians are different. And the heart and the hub of this book is chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, which we began last week unpacking, and that is real faith is more than words. And real faith, listen to this, is more than truth convictions. You can believe the right things and not be saved. We talk about demon theology. They believe God is one and all of the repercussions about judgment and the gospel. Demons know the gospel. Demons know who Jesus is. Jesus, demons know there's judgment ahead. But orthodox convictions don't equal saving faith. 
Because faith that saves is more than words and it's more than beliefs. Read with me chapter 2 verse 14. And this is the heart and hub of the book. James kind of getting at the centerpiece of all of this. What use is it? My brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? Answer, no, it can't. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Answer, no use. Because Christianity is more than words, saving faith is more than words. Verse 17, even so faith, if it has no works, is dead. Not living, not useful, dead. Not real, it's words. And Christianity, saving faith, real faith, real Christianity is more than words. You say it and you do it. Real Christianity, let me say it a different way, treats people differently when it sees the needs of people in your life. No real Christian can say a, see a real need, have capacity to meet that need, and say, be warm and be filled. I'm praying for you and do nothing to help you. Real faith. Verse 18, but if someone may well say, you have faith and I have works, James would say, well, then show me your faith without the works. That's impossible, and I will show you my faith by my works. Faith is invisible, but actual and real faith is not invisible. That's why James says, I'll show you my faith by my works. Verse 19, demon theology, you believe that God is one. That's the Shema. You do well. They would, have, they would have judged Jewish believers to whom James was writing. This is dispersed Jewish people. They would do the Shema daily. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. They would say that. Demons can say that. They believe that. Verse 18, someone may well say, or verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. Now, you can take the word shudder as shudder like I'm afraid, like I'm terrified, or you can take the word shudder like bristle, which means I'm hateful, I'm hissing. The God that I acknowledge, I don't love. The God I acknowledge, I don't respond as he deserves and desires, which is why the Shema goes on to say, if you declare God is one actually, constantly, and consistently, then you will love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because real lovers, real acknowledgers of who God is, they're transformed by the grace of God through faith in Christ alone, have a heart for God. They don't just treat people differently, they treat God differently. And you can make the claim... But the claim isn't validated until that claim is substantiated. You can have the convictions. You can be orthodox in your faith, but that claim and conviction is not validated as Christian until it looks different than the demon's response. I care about God. I love God. And I will treat God as he deserves and desires. Because real faith is more than words and more than belief truths that you hold. Convictions that are actual. And I remind you what Spurgeon said. Nobody believed in Jesus Christ and necessarily became a Christian. Because belief in Christ is not alone what saves. 
It's a necessary ingredient. But every Catholic on the planet believes Jesus Christ died for their sins. It is more than that conviction. It ends up in an all-out resolution of your heart, all-out passion of your soul, and all straight what saving faith is. James 2, 14 through 20 describes a dead, useless, for saving you faith. And now, in verses 21 through 26, James shifts to what saving faith is, what it includes. And he draws truth from two compelling and radical examples that faith that saves works. It is validated and manifested in the expression of practical and visible works of that faith. Verses 21 through 26, James makes his case for the nature of real and saving faith by presenting two of the most well-known examples to his hearers. Examples of saving faith, listen to this, from polar opposites of the social spectrum. He's going to look at the most highly regarded person in that culture to the least regarded person in that culture. From the most revered Jewish forefather to a despised Gentile sinner. From a respected Jewish leader to a pagan Gentile harlot. From a man to a woman. Read with me verses 21 through 26. Saving faith. It works. Validated by two radically different yet similar examples. Was not, verse 21, Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his up Isaac his son on the altar you see that faith was working with his works and as a result of the works faith was perfected and the scripture was fulfilled which says and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God now watch verse 24 you see That a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, example number two, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Concluding summary statement illustrated by the least and the most respected. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Abraham would be an example of the best of men to the Jewish readers. Rahab would be an example of the worst. And yet, both are justified by faith, and that justification is validated and verified by their works. And the reference to each example is introduced with a rhetorical question. Grammatically, it requires an affirmative response. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Answer, yes, he was. And in the same way, was not Rahab, the harlot, justified by works? Grammatically and rhetorically, yes, she was. 
fakes, faith and works are connected. The faith that made them righteous was validated by their works of faith, manifest in these well-known and famous expressions of their faith recorded here. So they know who these people are. They know one is at the top of the social food strata, food strata, (laughs) famous person social strata, I don't know where the food thing came in. I'm, I'm old and I miss breakfast. <laughs> Rahab, at the very end, at the lowest end of the social spectrum. A hooker in our terms. In a pagan city. Abraham, the most famous, who will in this passage be referred to as he was from the people of God hearing these words. He was not a harlot. He was the friend of God. These are compelling and radical examples of the faith that is manifest in real time, in real action. Because the faith that saves always works in real time, in real ways. Or it is not real. All right, so one of the keys to understanding this is I'm going to try to do my best to give you clarity on what makes this passage so challenging, and it's the use of the word justify. Justify. Was Abraham justified by his works? James says, yes, he was. Paul would say, matter of fact, turn back, because Abraham is used as an example in Romans chapter 4. So, how is the word justified used? That's the key issue. And you know this. Words have different nuances of meaning. They mean something in terms of the options, according to the dictionary. Lexically, they mean this could option A, option B, option C. Context determines what the meaning of the word is. Because the word used here is the same word you're going to read in Romans chapter 4. Dike is the heart of the word. It means right. Dikaiao means to be made right or to be declared to be right. Righteous. Dikaiao can also mean to be shown or verified to be righteous. Definition option A Declared to be right. Definition number two. Validated, verified, or vindicated as righteous. Both are legitimate definitions. Well, what decides or what determines the difference? Context determines the difference. The immediate context, what's going on in James. And just a reminder, James's issue is... Faith that's valid must display itself. It must verify itself. It must vindicate the claim. You can't just say it and not verify it. That's James's context. James says in chapter 1, we are brought forth, verse 19, by the word of truth. Not by our works, but by the word of truth. 
James, remember who he is? The head of the church at Jerusalem. Do you remember where he shows up first? After it says in 1 Corinthians that the risen Christ, his half-brother, appeared to him personally. That question on the table as it relates to the early church is, what does salvation require? Some would say salvation is faith plus keeping the works of the law, circumcision, faithfulness to the declarations of Moses. Paul comes to Jerusalem to validate the gospel he received not from the leaders of the church, but from Christ himself during his season in the wilderness. Paul got his gospel from God himself. He validated that gospel. He confirmed that gospel with the leaders of the church at Jerusalem in chapter 15. Peter, one of the reputed pillars of the church, stood up in Acts chapter 15 and said this, God was cleansing the hearts of the Gentiles by faith. Verse 11, Peter, we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not by works, it's not by circumcision, it's not by the works of the law. The Gentiles don't come by means of work. The Gentiles come just like we come, by faith alone, in the work and grace of God alone. And James stands up after Peter's strong claim about salvation being apart from the works of the law, James stands up as the head of the church, as kind of the the final leadership spokesperson, and says, brothers, listen to me. I agree with Peter. I affirm that salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. They come by faith. And I judge that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from the Gentiles with keeping the law of Moses because it doesn't save. But I asked these proclaimers, Paul and those who will preach to the Gentiles, to be holy and to avoid unnecessary offense. Do not eat things strangled or or animals with blood in them. Now, that doesn't get you to heaven. It's not a work you do. It's so you don't create an offense to the people you are going to as an apostle of the gospel that saves grace alone, faith alone, absolutely apart from the works of the law. That's James. You're saved by the word of truth, chapter 1, verse 19. You are needing to demonstrate a faith that shows up in more than words and more than beliefs. The issue is not what saves you, but the faith that saves you. It's not two things, it is one thing. I asked you to turn to Romans chapter 4 because the subject is Abraham and the quotes in James chapter 2. Two refer to things that come out of this passage and out of Genesis chapter 15. Let's go to verse 28 of chapter 3 since we're in such close proximity because Abraham is going to be the example of Paul's claim which he makes in verse 28. We maintain, this is Paul the apostle, we maintain that a man is justified, dikeao, he's made or declared righteous, 
by faith apart from works of the law. That's the claim. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Verse 1, chapter 4. What then? Shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Verse 3. This is the same statement that's in James chapter 2. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. No work involved, otherwise he could boast about it. Verse 5, But to the one who does not work, but believes in Him, capital H, God, who justifies, dikaiao means God declares to be righteous. Definition number one. God justifies, declares a man to be righteous, the person who believes in Him. He justifies the ungodly, verse 5, and his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks to the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness, watch this, apart from works. He's talking about the lawless man, verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. How can a sinful, lawless man do work that makes him righteous before God? He can't. His sins are released. They're forgiven because a debt was paid, a satisfaction was offered, Jesus the propitiation, the scapegoat, the bearer of our iniquity, He was the one who satisfied the debt, and as a gift of grace, through your faith, God gives you a righteousness that is like His Son. He declares you righteous. Now, Paul uses this term 14 of the 39 times it's used in the New Testament, and he uses it fundamentally, definition number one, to legally, forensically declare a man to be righteous at a point in time. God doesn't actually make you righteous in a point of time. He declares you righteous by gifting you with a position that is equal to Christ by way of righteousness. He declares you righteous. How does He do that? How does He justify you? Paul would say, how does He dikaao you? By faith. Credited as righteousness. Who did He do that for? Abraham. By faith, verse 9. Is this blessing on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised? Jew or Gentile? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Paul used the term to declare righteous, justify. How does James use it? Definition number two. Definition number two is not to declare someone righteous, but to vindicate, vindicate or validate or to show to be righteous. To demonstrate it. Look over with me at 1 Timothy chapter 3, because Paul's going to use it in this way. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
one of the other applications of the term. Jesus used it this way. Wisdom is vindicated. That's how it's translated in Matthew eleven nineteen. Wisdom is vindicated, demonstrated, validated, proven to be right and accepted by God by her deeds. It says the same thing in Luke seven thirty five. Wisdom is vindicated or validated, shown to be right by all her children. Same flavor, same word, verse 16, this common confession, 1 Timothy chapter 3, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh, who would that be? Jesus. This is a common confession. Jesus was revealed in the flesh. He was incarnated. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's what he said. He was revealed in the flesh, Jesus the second person of the Godhead. Now watch the next statement, the common confession. Was vindicated, dikaiao, justified, not in the sense of declared to be righteous, but validated to be who he claimed to be by or in the Spirit. Well, when did that happen? Not the incarnation, but the resurrection. Look back at Romans chapter 1, verse 4. Paul says he's a slave of Christ Jesus, called on his apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised, the gospel of God, which God promised beforehand, chapter 1, verse 2, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. So the subject of verse 3 and the heart of the gospel is his son, God's son, Christ Jesus. Now watch this. Who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, incarnation. Verse 4, who was declared by the Son of God with power, by the resurrection from the dead. Now watch this. According to the spirit of holiness. So what validated, verified, justified, shown to be legitimate, Jesus Christ as the Son of God? resurrection. Who did that verifying work? The Spirit of God. Declared to be the Son of God through the Spirit of God, the resurrection from the dead, by the Holy Spirit, according to the Holy Spirit. Definition number two, dikao, is it's validated and verified. The claim is validated and verified. It's vindicated. That's the second use, three times used by James, that word dikao, and it is in James chapter 2, and it is the second definition of the word, not to declare righteous, but to verify, validate, or vindicate as righteous. It's like, Harry, how do you justify that? You say you're the greatest athlete who's ever lived. How are you going to validate that, verify that? How are you going to claim that you can play that guitar? I can play that guitar. It's a Taylor guitar. Is it a Taylor? I don't know. I can play that guitar, and I am one of the best you've ever heard. And you would say to me, well, after you laugh, you would say, (laughs) how do you validate that? How do you justify that? Play it. Show it. Demonstrate it. Make it obvious and undeniable. 
You can say you can play, but if you don't play, you shouldn't say. That's James' use of dikaio. It's not to declare you as righteous. Romans, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 15 is where God declared Abram as righteous. And he declared him as righteous, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Listen to this. Because he believed God. Twenty plus years later, what did he believe God for? Let me finish. I'm going to give you a son. And out of your seed, you will be the father of many nations. You'll be called the exalted father. And Abraham, who didn't have a son, believed God and it was reckoned, it was imputed, it was legally declared, credited, you're righteous. What did Abram do? He didn't sacrifice Isaac or he wasn't willing to sacrifice. Isaac wasn't born. It was until 20 plus years later that he went to Mount Moriah and did what James is referring to, validated the faith that God said he had that made him righteous. It was validated by believing, or excuse me, it was declared righteous by the believing, and it was validated by the obeying. James is saying, if you say you can play it, you better be able to play it. If you say you're a Christian, you better display that you're a Christian. Because real faith really works. That's the heart of the challenge. And that's the explanation. The main goal of Paul is to teach the true meaning of justification, declared to be righteous. You do it by faith, in Christ, alone, by believing. This is how a person is saved. This is how a person is legally justified, declared righteous before God. The main goal of James is to teach how to discern the genuineness of a person's faith. You have children that claim they believe. You have relatives that claim they believe. You look at a person in the morning in the mirror who claims to believe. What validates that? Wouldn't you say it's important to know that before you hear the words, I never knew you? That's James' argument. Validating it by displaying it. Augustus' top lady says, if God gives you St. Paul's faith, you will soon have St. James' works. James is not teaching that salvation is by faith plus works. He is teaching that a faith that truly saves really has good works. All right, let's look at the faith that saves, manifest. Go back to James chapter 2 in Rahab and in Abraham. Let me give you some kind of big overarching faith statements about saving faith and validating evidences of saving faith as revealed in these two examples. Verse 21, Abraham, the superior saint. Here's what real saving faith looked like in his life when it was demonstrated. And I'm going to argue that these are examples that you ought to benefit from and hold yourself uh, accountable to by way of measure and by way of evidence. Saving faith, this is Abraham's faith. Saving faith is put God first and believe God no matter what faith. 
when it says that he was justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar, what kind of faith did he demonstrate? Saving faith. What was that characterized by? Faith that says, I'll put God first and I'll believe God no matter what faith. I'll put God ahead of my only son. I'll put God ahead of my most beloved relative. Saving faith puts God first. Listen to Matthew 10, 37. Jesus, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. True, saving, genuine faith changes the priorities of who you love the first and who you love the most. And Abraham was demonstrating his faith by saying, God, I choose you first. And I believe you no matter what. Because the Bible says that of the God that Abraham put first, he believed that that God could raise his son from the dead. That's what actual faith, real faith, and real time looks like. It puts God first. Real faith is proven. Here's another way to say it. When you obey and trust God when you're severely tested. Real faith is proven in the crucible of difficult tests. Real faith is validated by obeying God and putting God ahead of any relationship and is manifested in a friendship with God relationship. Look at uh, verse 22. Verse 23, rather. The scripture was fulfilled. In other words, it's reached its fullest expression, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. When did that happen? When he believed God to give him a son. When was it validated and verified? When was that fulfilled? When he was willing to sacrifice his son. And it was at that moment of obedient love that real faith manifest and fulfilled in love, obedience, and trust that God said something about Abraham's faith and he declared something about all who believe and obey him like that. And this is what he says, verse 23, and he was called the friend of God. He was called the friend of God. Listen to 2 Chronicles 20, verse 7, when one of the kings of Israel says, Are you not our God who, did, who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the seed of Abraham? Listen to this, the king of Israel saying, You gave it to, the, to Israel, the seed of Abraham, your friend forever. Isaiah 41.8, But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen. This is God talking. The seed of Abraham, God talking, my friend. Friendship with God is included in the faith that's real, that obeys the purposes and will of God. You're the friend of God. Now, this is not Abraham saying, I'm God's friend. This is God saying, Abraham's my friend. 
Who does God declare friends? Well, John 15, 12, Jesus talking, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Real faith is obedient faith. Real faith is motivated by love for God faith. Real faith says, God, you're first and ahead of any other priority or person in my life. Real living faith manifested by Abraham, which they would know is verified when you choose him over them. You're willing to risk everything in order to trust him in order to fulfill his purposes. And in the obeying of that, he says, you're my friend. And as my friend, I will disclose myself to you. This is John 14. He that hath and keepeth my commandments, he it is that loveth me. And he that loves me, I will disclose myself to him. Remember what happened before Abraham, or before God destroyed Sodom? God God came with two other men to have a meal with Abraham. And Abraham, they rose up, they looked toward Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. And the Lord, Yahweh, said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? The answer is, no, I won't. He's my friend. Because friends are not slaves. Friends are those who enjoy intimacy and friendship with the one whom they love, and in the case of God, the one to whom they obey. Verse 22, James chapter 2. You see, faith was working. Abraham was displaying his faith. Verse 22 helps you understand what justifies means. His faith was working with his works. So his faith activated, was displayed by his willingness to sacrifice his son. And as a result, verse 22, as a result of the works, his active exercise in real time and in practical ways, his faith working itself out, what happened to his faith? It was perfected. It was matured. The word perfected, teleos, means it it reaches its maturity. So here's a truth that I'd like you to learn as we travel together. Every time you work your faith, your faith grows and matures. When you follow God by faith, when you live your faith, whether it's safe homes or loving in a particular way, whether it's sacrificing, whether it's obeying by choosing God instead of a lust of your heart, by choosing to love others and not yourself, by turning the other cheek. When you do what you do as an action of your faith, when you deal with trouble, when the trouble seems overwhelming and you can't see any way out, 
and you choose to trust God, not yourself, you are working your faith. You're doing faith exercises which mature your faith. A lot of Christians are handicapped and weak and impotent because they don't exercise their faith to the end where their faith is perfected. It's matured. It's not just manifested, it's elevated. It's hard to understand saving faith if you don't understand the priority that God has desires and requires of those who say, yeah, I'm a believer. I follow Christ. Pick it up and play it. And playing it is demonstrating it that justifies that claim. If you understand that, would you say amen? Amen. All right. For me, this is convicting. For me, this says, I need to assess because I can say it and it doesn't make it so. This is not to make you doubt your salvation. This is to give you the the measuring means to verify and validate your salvation. Now, lest you leave here feeling like, oh my goodness, this superior saint who exercised this kind of faith that validated His claim, that isn't me, Harry. Well, the good news is there's another illustration, and her name is Rahab. And I didn't get done chapter 2. It's 10 o'clock. You're laughing like you knew that, right? You knew that ahead of time. I really wanted to. Lord willing, we'll talk about one of the most profound and encouraging examples of real faith in real time. And it wasn't mature like his. Remember his? Romans 4. He looked at Sarah's womb dead. He looked at himself too old. And he staggered not at the promise of God being confident that what God had promised he was able also to perform. When he raised the knife, he raised the knife in obedience, believing that if he took his life, God could raise him from the dead. You know what that is? Big time faith. Next time we get together, that I'm with you, we'll talk about maybe not so big time faith, but a faith that saves because it really works. The faith of Ahab, the harlot who is the profoundest example maybe in the Bible of what faith can do if you'll believe and act. Father, thank you for the time today. Thank you for Cornerstone and the examples that exist in this fellowship group of faith actuated. Lord, if there's anything true that is convicting and inspiring. It's the volume of believers in this group and in this church who don't just say it, they actually do it. And Lord, it's my prayer that those of us who come to this church and seek out of a hungry heart to know the truth, that we will not be satisfied with just knowing it, but will exercise our faith in the doing of it. So that we don't stay young 
needing milk, but we graduate to the meat of the word because we're not just learning it, we're living it. So Lord, I thank you for James declaring to us that faith is more than words and more than belief. It is faith that is proven and perfected in the crucible of life. Crossroad spaces and places where we have to make choices. Where we can say that God is one and He is God alone, but we actually have to live like that. Where we raise the hand that makes a choice to say, you know, God, this matters to me, but you matter more. And God, if, if, this, if this hurts, I trust you to deal with the loss. Lord, I pray that we will manifest the kind of faith that invites you and prompts you to say, Harry, he's my friend. He's my forever friend. Because he lives a faith that's full and rich not empty and hollow. Lord, that's accessible, not just to Abraham, but to everyone who loves, obeys, and believes and works. Lord, I ask that for us all today on this Lord's Day, this day that we celebrate the gift of freedom because of those who sacrifice. Lord, it is for freedom that Jesus set us free. Help us to live as slaves of God, free from sin. Thank you for Jesus Christ, the greatest and the best. In his name I pray and all God's people said, amen.